if you look at the global economy, I, I, don't, I don't think this crisis is enough to, to knock it into recession. In fact, I think global growth and Australian growth will remain quite reasonable um, supporting shares over the course of the next 12 months. Welcome back to the Simplifying Investing Podcast. I am your host, Adam Masters. Thank you for joining us. In today's episode, we've got a timely discussion of one of the big issues facing the world at the moment. I'm talking about the conflict in Ukraine. Now, this is having an impact in many ways, and I want to take a quick look at what the economic repercussions are for markets and for investors. So joining me today is AMP's Chief Economist, Dr. Shane Oliver. Shane, thank you for being here. My pleasure, Adam. Now, before we jump in, here's a quick reminder. This podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is intended as a guide only. So Shane, the conflict in Ukraine is top of mind for all of us at the moment, and it is sadly having a devastating impact on the Ukrainian people. Now, as part of the global response, Western leaders have implemented sanctions against Russia in a bid to cripple the Russian economy. So, Shane, could you help get our listeners up to speed on this front? What's involved in these sanctions and and who is driving this pushback against the Kremlin? Well, I guess it all comes down to human rights at the end of the day. What we're seeing on the TV and reported in various media is is something horrifying. Humans often do terrible things to each other, and war is about the worst example of that. Uh, and so this uh, move to adopt sanctions, I guess, is motivated by other countries around the world to impose costs on Russia uh, for undertaking this invasion of Ukraine. That's what it's all about. Obviously, there's a whole bunch of issues here. Um, uh, we know that uh, both Russia and the NATO countries, the US and Europe, have nuclear weapons. Uh, and through much all of the Cold War, they avoided direct conflict with each other. There would be proxy wars. Um, and so consequently, the NATO countries are a bit reluctant, understandably, to get directly involved in this conflict um, for fear that it leads to a wider conflagration and therefore, uh, the use of nuclear weapons, uh, which have been referenced through the last week or so by the Russian president. So the next best thing, I guess, is, well, uh, you know, apart from sending arms to Ukraine, um, uh, the, the other one is uh, sanctions. And of course, the world in the post-Cold War period um, became very intertwined. We regularly heard the top concept of globalisation as Russia, the Eastern Bloc, were integrated into the global economy, and then, of course, China. Um, and that was a huge benefit to all of us. Uh, lots of cheap goods um, and uh, kept inflation low and interest rates low, and share markets performed very well through that period. But, of course, um, that intertwining um, means that uh, countries uh, have a bit of sway over each other because they can uh, cut off economic activity and access to financing and uh, financial assets, which, of course, is what's the US and Europe have done here, where they've targeted key individuals involved on the Russian side, they've targeted select Russian banks, some of them have been turned off from the SWIFT, uh, I won't go into the details of this one, SWIFT interbank um, transactions system, which enables banks to swiftly or quickly uh, you know, undertake uh, um, shifts in money around the world. Mm. Uh, once you cut off, then you can't get that money. 
Um, they've also made it difficult for the Russian Central Bank to access its reserves uh, if those reserves are in foreign currency and held in foreign counterparts, which makes it very hard for the Russian Central Bank to defend its currency. Um, and they've also imposed um, sanctions in terms of trade with Russia. So all of those things will have a devastating impact on the Russian economy. Uh, news of the war, plus these escalating sanctions, have seen uh, the Russian ruble, their currency, and the Russian share market fall 30 to 40% from its pre-invasion levels, depending on what day you look at it. So big falls there, and it's quite likely that the net outworking will be a huge slump in the Russian economy, possibly a 20% slump, which some might call a, a depression. So it's, it's aimed at putting a, a big cost on Russia uh, for what is deemed to be um, unacceptable behaviour um, by other countries. So that's what it's all about. Um, hopefully... Uh, the situation will ultimately be contained and we don't go down the path of a wider war, but obviously in the short term, uncertainty will continue for a while. And it sounds from what you're saying that these sanctions are quite widespread and they're obviously going to leave a mark. And I guess the West is aiming to make life difficult for Vladimir Putin and his, his chiefs. But you'd have to imagine that this would also have an impact on everyday citizens in Russia who, you know, obviously some would support the administration, but this would also, I guess, touch on some of those who may not necessarily agree with the actions that they're seeing taking place uh, with their neighbour next door. Unfortunately, yes, uh, ordinary Russians will be affected whether they agree with the war or not. Uh, and that's an outworking of the way sanctions work. Uh, you know, Western countries will do whatever they can um, to try and target the, the key perpetrators of the of the war, but that's very difficult. Um, and obviously, uh, one means of putting pressure on the leadership of a country is to target the whole country uh, with economic um, impacts, and that's what we're seeing here. So, yes, it is going to be fairly tough for ordinary Russians. Many of them are not supporting this war. Um, and that's an unfortunate outcome of, of this um, of this situation. And where do you see share markets heading, I guess, in the next few weeks to months? And, I, and specifically, I suppose, what impact do you think it will have for Australian investors? Are there any examples of where something like this has happened and what, what the impact it's had on investment markets in the past where obviously conflict, this isn't the first conflict we've seen and unfortunately probably won't be the last one, but are there any examples there around, I guess, what we could learn and what impact we could see for Australian investors? Well, there certainly are examples because often when we're going through these things, we think it's the first time ever, it's the worst ever, mm. uh, and we'll never recover. Whereas uh, we know that investment markets have been around for a long, long time, through much of the last century, dating back into the uh, the 1800s, in fact. Um, and you can look at the impact on investment market share markets specifically of specific crises events. In fact, Various organisations have done that. In some of my notes, I've referred to it. Um, to go back to the 1940s, the average impact of a, what you might call a crisis event, whether it's a, an attack by Germany in Europe, uh, bombing of Pearl Harbor, 9-11 terrorist attacks and so on, um, the average negative impact is a decline in shares of around 6 or 7%, depending on uh, how, how precisely you look at it. Um, but you know, the dust usually settles after a few weeks. Sometimes it takes a few months. Uh, and then if you look at the share markets three, six, and 12 months later, they're invariably higher. In fact, after 12 months, they're 15% up from their lows. Now, sometimes the declines can be a lot steeper. Sometimes they can be somewhat less. Uh, but we have seen these events over many, many years. Uh, many of them are related to wars, uh, terrorist attacks, but also financial events. But they tend to see the same pattern 
uh, a knee-jerk reaction downwards by share markets, a flight to safety, sometimes in things like gold, and then a, a bottoming and then a, a gradual recovery because the crisis itself in, eventually sets off um, the circumstances or measures which ultimately drive an eventual recovery as markets get oversold. Now, this time around, if you, if you put it in context, global shares and Australian shares already had a rough start here in January from their, their highs either late last year or early this year. Uh, global shares had fallen something like 9% to a low in January. Australian shares had fallen about 10%. US shares also about 10%. We then had a bit of a bounce in late January into early December. Then, of course, as the, the news around Ukraine intensified and got worse and worse, share markets had another sharp fall, uh, pushing most global markets below their uh, lows in January um, to see them down about 12% at the low point, given depending on which market you look at. Now, the Aussie share market was relatively resilient through all of that. It did take a bit of a hit on one day in the last week or so, but it's uh, not down nearly as much and has managed to hold above its, its January lows. Mm. Uh, but we're still down about 8% or so, depending on what day you look at it, um, but just not down as much as global markets have been. Uh, so you've seen a fairly standard reaction there, but the history would tell us, um, and I don't know when they're going to bottom, it could get worse before it gets better for the simple reason that uh, the, the war in Ukraine seems to be going on, perhaps this is good news, for longer than Vladimir Putin would have liked. Um, mm. And the Western response has been far more aggressive, which, of course, brings on its own uncertainties. Yes, Putin may back down, uh, which would be great, um, but he may just decide to dig in and go even harder, which would be bad. Um, so this uncertainty could go on for a little bit longer, but history tells us that uh, if you take a six, 12-month horizon, um, you're likely to see the share market rise. And I think there's a bunch of things that may help in that sense. Uh, firstly, you know, to the extent that this is seen as a major uncertainty, it will slow central banks a little bit. It won't stop them raising interest rates, which is the path they were on prior to the Ukraine war, but it might slow it down a little bit. Rather than US Federal Reserve rates raise rates by 0.5% in one meeting, they might just point to 0.25%, or they may delay it a little bit. So there's that aspect um, which will help. Um, if you think about the oil price, it's obviously causing a huge shock as it goes up, and it's part of the transmission mechanism by which this crisis adversely impacts the global economy. So that's certainly bad news. But by the same token, there's other forces might, which might eventually bring the oil price back down. Um, as, uh, for example, um, and there's increasing talk that uh, the US and Iran revisit the 2015 uh, nuclear deal, and that could unleash Iranian oil into the world market. Um, and if you look at the global economy, I don't think this crisis is enough to knock it into recession. In fact, I think global growth and Australian growth will remain quite reasonable, um, supporting shares over the course of the next 12 months. And just finally, in Australia, I mean, one of the outworkings of this crisis is higher commodity prices. Uh, Russia mm. uh, produces something like 11% of world oil, a uh, big producer of coal, gas, well, guess what? We don't produce a lot of oil in Australia, but we produce a lot of coal and gas, and we will, you know, perversely, be a beneficiary of uh, an absence or a lessening in Russian supplies. Likewise, wheat, uh, they supply something like uh, 10% or 10 to 14% of world uh, wheat. Um, Ukraine's also a big supplier. Um, that supply will be disrupted. Uh, and again, Australia will be a beneficiary of that. I'm not saying Australia should gloat in any of this, but it does help our share market to the extent that resources companies 
uh, get a bit of a boost from this. Now, obviously, the pain will be felt for Australians at the Bowser when they fill up their car with petrol and we see ever higher petrol prices. We're already pushing above $2 a litre. Uh, you know, in the next few weeks, we could push above $2.20. Yeah, could be more upside in the short term here. Um, so that's a, that's a big drag. But nationally, um, there will be a boost to companies that will mean more money flowing into Canberra, which could provide more scope for help for Australian households um, come the next budget. So it's, it's not all doom and gloom, um, even though the situation with Ukraine is horrible. Well, definitely some important things to consider there. And of course, this is, as you say, still an active conflict. So we will no doubt continue to monitor what's happening in the region and its impact for some time. And we'll no doubt see the flow and effects in Australia. So Shane, thank you again for joining me on the show. And listeners, a reminder that all topics we've discussed today are general in nature and we haven't taken your personal circumstances into account. So we would remind you, as always, to seek out tailored financial advice that's relevant to your personal circumstances before you make any important financial decisions.